Hey, good morning. Sure, hope you're doing well. Uh, I just want to ask you to be praying over the next uh, couple of days. Uh, tomorrow, Paul and I and Pete are meeting with builders and architects and doing all that tomorrow. And then tomorrow evening, we're, we're meeting with the building committee. So the next couple of days are pretty significant. Uh, man, just let me add my words of thanks to all those who participated in the First Fruits. Uh, what a gift that was and uh, how encouraging it was to the staff and to the leadership of our church to hear uh, how we've already launched this thing. So thank you so much for, our, for your involvement in that and being faithful to what God asked you to do. Uh, I've got to have a word of prayer, and I'll share with you what's on my heart. Lord, uh, these are incredible folks. I mean, just look at them. <laughs> they're, they're so beautiful. And um, not just on the outside, Lord, but uh, their hearts are beautiful as we uh, reflect on the thanksgiving uh, toward the offering and the excitement related to the vision that our church uh, has and that you gave us, Lord. And um, we're excited to build this for the children uh, in the coming days, coming years. And, uh, Lord, everyone, um, everyone will be able to own a piece of that building and say, man, I helped, I helped move the ball down the field there. And I just think that's celebratory. That's something we could celebrate. So thank you for that. Lord, uh, when, we, when we leave today, I want, we want to be more like you. And that's the simple, that's the simple kind of cut-to-the-chase idea. We want to be more like Jesus. And I want to be more like Jesus as a husband, as a father. Um, as, a, as a man, uh, I want to be more like Jesus as a pastor. And so, Lord, have your way in my heart and the hearts of those who are here today. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask and invite you to not just visit this place, but I pray that you would visit Pleasant View this morning and that they would sense your spirit moving in a very real and active way. I pray the same for the chapel, that your spirit would, would be front and center and uh, you would do your good work ministering to your people this morning. Uh, it's in your name I pray along with all these folks. Amen. Well, uh, if you have kind of been missing, I'll get you caught up to speed with where we are and uh, then share with you a special nuance that we're learning here. Last week or last couple of weeks, we sort of learned that Scripture will often use this metaphor of running to describe life and to describe what life is actually like. And, um, and so the reason the Bible uses this metaphor of running to describe what life is like is simply this. It has some similarities. <laughs> running long distances or running has some similarities to life. Here's one of them. Both of, those th- both of those are really hard. I mean, both of those things are really, really hard. And, and sometimes things happen that are just, you kind of set your jaw and you try to get through. Not only that, but both running and life are unpredictable. Have you noticed? <laughs> Anybody else <laughs> kind of awakened to that? And, and things we didn't plan on uh, happening happened. Uh, things we didn't ask for, those things happen. And so uh, that's kind of a similarity. And as a result of these things, sometimes, both in life and in the important thing, and running, both life and in the, in the, in running, we, we want to quit important things. Because running can become so difficult that we decide we want to quit. But the same is true with life. We can get into areas of our lives that are so difficult like running in cement, and they're so hard. We just want to bail. We just want to stop, and you know, especially the areas of life that really matter. For example, faith. Everybody in the room has come to some point in their lives where they think, man, maybe I'll just walk away from this thing, or, or maybe marriage, uh, maybe parenting, may, maybe sobriety, maybe handling your money well, maybe sexual purity, um, maybe caring for your body. But we've all come to something in life that is so difficult, we just want to quit. And when life gets hard, and, and you think about quitting, that doesn't make you a bad person. <laughs> uh, don't, don't hear that and think, well, I'm a screw-up, or I'm the one that's failing. You're, you're not a bad person. What that makes you is normal. 
It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're absolutely normal when you feel like quitting some, some of these things. And Jesus understood this. In fact, if you read the Gospels, especially around the Easter story, you will see times when Jesus wanted to quit some things in his life as well. He wanted to bail on some things. And so he understands that in these moments when we want to quit, the Bible offers this incredible place of resolve. In the moments when we want to bail on the most important things in life, the Bible offers this this resolve that each one of us has. And the Bible calls this place of resolve, you ready? Faith. And so the scripture defines it this way. Hebrews 11.1. Faith means being sure of what you hope for. And certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. When you run into the wall... When the relationship is tanking, when your health is scary, when, when you lack forgiveness or unforgiveness or whatever's in your heart, faith is being sure of what you hope for. It, it, did you hear what it? It's not faith is everything is hunky-dory, which is a Hebrew word you probably don't understand. But it's not, it's not everything's fine. It just means you're sure of what you hope for and you're certain of what you don't see. And at some point, when we feel there is no way we can continue... When we want to quit relationships, church, family, life, there is this place of resolve that the Bible teaches called faith. And there are times when we believe in what we hope for, even though we're not there. When we're, when we're banging up against a wall, there are times when we believe in spite of our circumstances. Do you get that? There are times when you press on in spite of what you are currently experiencing. And that's kind of what faith is. Faith is the card we play, if you will, when we hit the wall. Now, if you're wired like me, and I hope you're not, but if you're wired like me, that leads to an important kind of question. So here's where we are so far. When I hit the wall, I keep running this race. And the question that I have at this point is, is that it? Am I supposed to keep running into the wall? And trust and hope everything goes great eventually? Because respectfully, if that's what it's telling me to do, that sounds dumb. That's, and I don't think I could try to convince you folks to do that. I wouldn't recommend you do that. And so I got a question is, is that it? Is that all we're supposed to do? Is the answer to life just trust Jesus and hope everything ends up okay? Is that all Christianity offers? And I would suggest that the answer to that question is one of those yes and no answers. So, so see if this makes sense to you. The yes part of that answer has to do with reality. There are some things in our lives that only Jesus can do. There are some things that only Jesus can do. And one of those, and this is Tom the dude, not Tom the pastor or anything, but only Jesus can pay for my sin. There's nothing else that's able to do that. Only Jesus. So only Jesus can remove my shame, guilt, and regret over the people I've hurt and the sin that's been part of my life. And this is what I've learned on that journey. Trying to be good doesn't work. Because I know a whole lot of people trying to be good that are incredibly mean people. <laughs> that doesn't work. I tried that. I tried to scrub myself clean. That doesn't work. Trying to do some kind of shame and guilt management system. That doesn't work. Trying to look a certain way. Trying to appear holy or appear to fit in. That doesn't work either. And I tried that. Trying to live a certain way. So you don't ask me about yesterday. <laughs> 
that doesn't work either. That doesn't work either because it comes out. Parts of us that are not, are not right come out and we're all alone. Because see, what happens is what I've, what I've discovered is that I can fool everybody, but I can't fool myself. Am I getting too vulnerable with you all right now? Are you with me? I can fool everybody because I'm a good fooler. I don't know if that's a word. But I, I can't fool myself. I can't because when I go to bed at night and I close my eyes or trying to fall asleep, the only people that are having a conversation is me and myself and then I. All of us are sort of having this conversation in here. And that's it. And so there has to be something real. And that, to me, is only what Jesus did on the cross for my sin. So when I do go to sleep at night and I'm having that conversation... Having faith in Jesus for my salvation is an incredible place of resolve. Not what I do for a living, not how other people view me, but having Jesus as my place of resolve is a peaceful place. Are you tracking? So in that regard, yeah, that's a yes part of the question. Does all we do is trust Jesus? Yeah, in that area. But here's the no part of the question. Do we just have to have faith in Jesus? It refers to another area of Jesus' teaching when it comes to doing life, when it comes to finding this resolve to keep running. So it's not just you have to have your personal faith with Jesus. Apparently, apparently, according to Scripture, hear me, you and I can run this race in the wrong way. Apparently, we can live life in such a way, running and living, that we are actually wasting our time. These are the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, do you not know? What that means is, you know, that's what that means. So you know that in a race everybody runs, but only one gets the prize. And then he says this, Tom, run in such a way. In other words, live your lives in such a way as to get the prize. And you understand the alternative, right? Right? What he's saying is we can actually run in such a way that we're never going to get the prize. So he said, if you're going to run, run in such a way as to get the prize. Don't run in such a way that keeps us from winning. We can run in such a way that we actually lose. Let's, let's make it more personal just to get awkward. See, some of us are living our lives in this very moment in such a way. Are you ready? You're never going to win. We're never going to win. And let me just kind of just flesh that out for you. We're never going to get the prize we're seeking. And that's sort of unnerving for me to think about. Because I've had several conversations this week with people in our community that, are hit, that have hit major walls this week. Not little blimp, not little blips. Major, my life will be different forever kind of things. So they're running their race. And to look, think about them possibly going through the difficult days, like me and you. Think about them grinding through the difficult people and the difficult diagnosis. And still not be living life in such a way that it was intended to live. That's unnerving to me. You think about this. According to what's happening, you and I can go through the same struggles in this life. That, nobody gets a pass on that. Everybody gets that. And you and I can go through loss and grief and bitterness and anger and fear and anxiety. And some of us don't even have a chance of getting the prize we want. If that's true, I want to know that. Huh? 
I don't mind suffering if I know why. But man, the thought of suffering with no aim, that doesn't settle well with me. So according to Scripture, I can waste my life in the way I run. So that naturally leads to this question. How do we know we're running well or the right way? How can you know? How, how can I know? The Scripture actually has something to say about how to know we are running well. We've been studying Hebrews. So we started in Hebrews chapter 12. Last week I jumped into Hebrews chapter 11. And this week I'm going to jump into Hebrews chapter 10 just to bother you people who don't like that. And so that's kind of what this is. So this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It just came out of my mind this way. I don't know why. Therefore, friends, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, there's a couple of weird sentences in here or phrases or words. I'm going to pause and tell you about them in a minute. Most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body. Okay, all that's sort of a weird weird thing to understand. But this is really the yes part of the question that we just referred to. Do I just trust Jesus? This is the yes part of that, of that question. We can now go into the very presence of God, not because of anything we have done, not because we stuck a fish on our car, not because we're in every Bible study on the planet, not because we downloaded the Scripture memory app. No, we can trust Jesus because of what Jesus did and only Jesus did on our behalf, and that is this. He made a way for me and for you to live without guilt and without shame. That is, he paid for our sin so we could be forgiven. That's what that verse is saying. Follow me? And since we have a great priest over the house of God, I felt we should pause here just for a minute because priest is a word that has some baggage for people. And, 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 and you, it may be a word you, do, you use, don't use very much. I don't, I don't know. But a good, a good definition for the word priest, if, you're, if you want to, is you could say a go-between or a mediator. So if you put that in there, we have a great, great mediator, a great go-between over the house of God. That's what the writer is saying. Because we now have this mediator, we now have this intercessor in the person of Jesus Christ, things are dramatically different as we run this race. Because of this significant historical event on a cross and out of a tomb, everything changes for us as we run. So with that context, since we have the yes sacrifice on the cross, and since we have a great priest, now the writer says, here's some things that have changed. This is the no part. Yes, just trust in Jesus. Here's the part, but also run your race in the right way. First, we can lean hard into God. That's not always been the case. But because of what has happened on the cross and in an emptying of the tomb, you and I have this opportunity to lean hard into God. And that's what the writer's saying in verse 22 of Hebrews 10. He says, let us draw near to God. Look at this word. With a sincere heart, come back, in full assurance of faith, Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And having our bodies washed with pure water. That's what we represent in baptism. Now, here's the thing. That word sincere, it means to be true or be genuine. <clears throat> no false pretenses. And churches are built on this sometimes. And it just, it's, it's repulsive. This means be real. It means be genuine. Biblical faith is never fake faith. 
And we're not close to God because we're amazing or we live squeaky clean lives. That's not what makes us close to God. Be real as you lean hard into God and depend on God because of what Jesus has enabled to happen. That's what he's saying, lean hard into God. Here's the second part. We can hold without swerving. Hold on to this faith without swerving. Let us hold unswervingly, which means without swerving. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You mean like God is who he says he is and can do everything he promised to do? Sincere hearts, friends, aren't blown around and rattled with the un- when the unexpected happens. Don't misunderstand me. If the unexpected happens in my life this week, I'm still going to be a broken man. Is that fair? But we're not rattled. It's not like all of a sudden I have to find a place to live. Because my faith is present and I can hold without swerving no matter what happens in life. C.S. Lewis defined faith in mere Christianity this way. Check this out. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Does that not encourage the fire out of you? It means my faith isn't based on circumstances. My faith isn't based on whether or not everybody loves me. Or whether everything in my life is up and to the right. Because there are periods of my life when it's sort of down. (laughs) Does that make sense? Lewis says, it's not based on circumstances. That's not what faith is. Faith is holding on to the things your reason has once accepted. Faith gets me through my circumstances and gets you through the circumstances when you hit the wall. When life takes a turn, when we have a loss, when we're afraid, when we're anxious, when we're depressed, when we're lonely, when we screwed up, Faith isn't broken. We hold unswervingly in these times to our faith to Jesus. Last week we said it this way, kind of. The one who brought me to the wall, I am convinced that I am betting the farm, is the one that will, count, will get me over the wall. And so far, I'm assuming everybody gets this. Because I appear to be the only one who's excited. And so so I'm assuming everybody in the room has got this and it's all been there, done that kind of conversation. I understand that. This is what Jesus does for us. And we we embrace that. Lean hard into God and hold unswervingly. That's what we receive as faithful followers. And we all love that, especially American Christians, because it's what we receive. But now, the writer of Hebrews shifts the focus from what we receive as a people of faith to how we live as people of faith. Now he's teaching us how to run this race in order to finish and get the prize. Are you, are you with me? Okay, so lean in. Here it comes. Third, spur one another on. Now, I have read this verse for years. I've probably written papers on this verse. And you know what word I've never noticed before? That one. And I'll tell you what this kind of gets to me. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hey, Christians, just a note, spur does not mean stab. Those are not the same things, okay? If you've got a special gift of stabbing other Christians, stop it. You're dumb. Don't do that. That's not what people need. It doesn't mean throw darts at each other when you struggle. It doesn't mean that. Listen, there are enough people throwing darts. You don't have to add your dart to them. Stop. You don't have to. But I love the fact that the word consider is in this verse. Because the writer is saying, listen, the writer is saying, don't think about everything that's wrong. 
think about, think about, consider, dwell on what you can do to encourage brothers and sisters in love. You know what I'm I'm learning? There's not a lot of that in my life. Do you feel there is in yours? What I have found is there's a lot of a lot of folks that have opinions and ideas, but I don't think there's a lot of people in my life that are just trying to lay at home in the couch considering how they could spur Tom on to love and good deeds. <laughs> Why don't we have that in our lives? In spades. Why don't we have that? And you know why, I think? I think in part of that is because there aren't a lot of people in my life I trust enough to spur me on toward love and good deeds. <laughs> you, know, you know what's needed for the verse to work? Trust. If there's no trust, this doesn't work. This is just becomes criticism, becomes hurtful. I have to trust you enough to know you're not trying to hurt me. So I got a message last week between services from one of the people in my life who has helped me run toward Jesus. And I trust this man. He loves me. I love him. And we invest in time together. We go out with our spouses to deepen. We each have one spouse. But that sentence made it sound like we have several. That's not, that's not what happened. Uh, but this gray beard came from something else. But anyway, we get, go out with our spouses and we deepen our relationship. We try to encourage each other. That's all we've done. Let me ask you something. Do you think my friend who's been hanging out with me for a couple of years now sees any flaws in me? Well, of course not. I'm a pastor. How in the world could he possibly see any flaws in all of this, right? I could bet he could figure out one or two. I do. I think he sees my less than perfect side, and yet he allows the Holy Spirit to do the work in me. And I so value that. He's a close friend. Last week between services, he sends me this message. I wanted to share something that happened today in the service. It was totally out of God because it came unexpectedly and totally out of context with where you were in your, where you were in your message, which means he wasn't listening. <laughs> and I understand. But then he said, I had a vision of me picking you up and carrying you on my shoulders. Brother, I'll carry you anywhere. I value you as a pastor and a man and cherish our friendship. What do you think that did to me? You all should have been here for the third service. It was like revival. (laughs) I took a picture of it. I carried it around on my phone so I don't lose it. What had happened is my brother had considered how to spur me on toward love and good deeds and gave me a priceless gift. Fourth thing the writer says is this. Keep meeting Don't quit. Keep meeting. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. There's that word again. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That word encourage, get this. Same root word as the word for Holy Spirit. Don't bail on the community when the community gets tough. Apparently something is in this room that we all need. And you know what it is? Judgment. No, that's not it. That's not it. Division. That's not it. Apparently what we all need is encouragement. Parakaleo, which actually means 
to call near. Apparently what everyone in this room needs is for each of us to call the other one near. You're not alone. You're hitting a wall, but boy, you're not hitting it, not hitting it without me. We're going to hit this wall together. I'm, I'm in this with you. So we use a phrase around here that I love, but sometimes I get concerned that people misunderstand it, uh, especially in this culture that we're a part of. And, and um, if the phrase is misunderstood, it can lead Jesus followers to a very dangerous place. And I've seen this in our church. And so I just thought I'd kind of uh, try to apply it in this way. So many of you have seen this napkin version of uh, our mission uh, of our church. And it's, it's simply, we want to reach spiritually hungry people. And we want to introduce them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, This is part of what we think means spiritual transformation would take place as a result of this. And so we encourage people to have this personal relationship with Jesus. And that's the part that I'm concerned people might be misunderstanding. It's wonderful and it's right. It's the yes part of the question I asked earlier. But there are some dangers with this part of part of uh, of what we're talking about. Some people think personal means private and nobody else's business. That's nowhere in Scripture. You can't even twist the words and cross your eyes to try to make it look that way. It's never mentioned that way in Scripture. Ever. You know what else is kind of a potential downside if we don't get all of Scripture, personal relationship? What that We get this idea that we can believe that we're all on our own. It's a personal relationship. It means I just got to do what I'm going to do. I can find God sitting under a tree. Yes, you can, but you can't find New Testament God there. It's a both and. You have to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. Nobody can do that for you. But that personal relationship, make no mistake, is lived out with each other. And that's the other part of our napkin drawing that we have to hold on to as a church. It's not just you have a thriving personal relationship, but you also have to have an active role in healthy Christian community. This is where this whole thing is lived out. And if you can't do this well then the problem is always here. You tracking? This is the problem. Now, here's the other thing. Some people will desire this, but not have that. This is where you can determine in Tom's heart where this is. And I can determine it about you. It's a both-and sort of thing. One day there were some religious guys who were trying to back Jesus into a corner to trick him into saying something that he shouldn't say and something they could later use against him. So they asked him, they said, hey Jesus, what's the most important thing to remember? What's the most important commandment? Out of 600 and some odd commandments in the, in the Bible, what's the most important one? And no matter what he chose, he was going to lose because the guys were going to remember it and they're going to throw it back up in his face. But Jesus doesn't pause or hesitate. Jesus replies in Matthew 22, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And, and, the, and the Gospel of Mark includes the word strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, and you would think, you know, Jesus is saying your personal relationship with Jesus is the key. It's important. And Jesus actually could have stopped right there. And everybody in church world would have continued on. Right? Nothing would have blown us away. We would have stood up at the end of this service and sang some song about how we all personally relate to God. And, and felt great about it. But what, what I marvel at is Jesus didn't even pause. What this is teaching so far is have faith in Jesus. 
And that's it. But he doesn't pause. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, instead of pausing like we did, he says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, everything, cover to cover, that's what this means. Everything, cover to cover of the book, hangs on these two ideas. Personal relationship with Jesus. An active role in healthy Christian community. And if you're a member of our church, I want you to know that that napkin drawing didn't come out of some Tom's late night pizza binge. It came from that verse. It's based on that scripture. And we're committed to living the rest of our lives trying to work that out imperfectly as we can. And friends, what I'm trying to tell you is this is how we run the race in the right way. This is it. Have faith in Jesus and live it out with each other and let the community teach you. Which leads to the ultimate question of application that is going to make some of us in this room very uncomfortable. And I could leave it here and not make you uncomfortable, but I don't think it'd be being faithful to why we've gathered in the room while we're watching so, where we are so far is we got Jesus when we hit the wall, and apparently you folks matter when I hit the wall. And so, here's the question that I, I want to ask Who's helping you run toward Jesus? Now, let me tell you what the answer is not it's not your mama. And now this one's really going to be, I know this will be an email, but it's, it's not just your marriage. It's not your pastor. Yes, I can help at some level, but I'm talking about going deeper. Who do you have in your life who is cheering you on, considering how to encourage you with love and good deeds toward Jesus? Who? Now, if you're, if you're scrambling in your mind to find that person, then I would say there's your point of application. I sat down with another friend of mine this week. We meet every week. He's investing in me. We meet to consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And it's one of those meetings where there's no, nothing's held back. I don't know if you have that in your life or not, but there's no secrets in that meeting. It's, it's wide open. And we've been doing it, as I said, for I don't know how many years now. But, um, and so we have a normal routine we follow through. But this week, um, we brought in some questions that we started to ask that will become central to our faith here. And, there, and, and although this is pretty personal for me, I, I want to share it with you. Um, just to kind of share with you what kind of community I'm talking about. Is that fair? Um, if you want a copy of these questions, they're actually on the alivewesting.info. I asked them to put them up there. And uh, they're a compilation of, of like Swindoll, John Wesley, I mean, a compilation of questions. But there's 10 of them. And here are the 10 questions that we get asked. Are you ready? 
I'm getting like a hot just thinking about asking these questions right now because I feel like it's Friday morning. But anyway, here, here's where we are. Question one, have you been a testimony this week to the greatness of Jesus Christ with both your words and actions? Yeah, that sound of crickets is exactly what normally happens in a small group. That's right. That's a tough question, isn't it? How about this one? Uh, have you been exposed to sexually alluring material or allowed, allowed your mind to entertain inappropriate thoughts about someone who's not your spouse this week? Now, I know it's making some of us uncomfortable, but let me ask you, are you glad your pastor's asked, being asked that question? I'll tell you a secret. Your spouse wishes you had someone asking you that question in your life. They do. Even if they tell you different, they wish. Have you lacked any integrity in your financial dealings this week or coveted something that doesn't belong to you? Have you been honoring, understanding, and generous in your important relationships this week? Have you damaged another person by your words? Listen to this. Either behind their back or face to face. That was a whole lot easier before they said behind your back, right? <laughs> Have you given in to an addictive behavior? Have you continued to remain angry toward another person? Have you secretly wished for another's misfortune so you might excel? Did you finish your reading? We have a commitment to read through Scripture and a couple of the things that we read through every week and hear from the Lord. And then the last question we ask is this. In the last few minutes, have you been completely honest with me? So when I talk about spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, when I take that application from, from Scripture... It's a serious thing for me, and it's not something that I do lightly. So the question that you might be entertaining in your mind is, okay, Tom, suppose I... We've been meeting together for years. So the level of trust in this relationship is pretty strong. Is that okay? So, I mean, to actually think you're going to meet someone after this service in the lobby, hey, want to ask those ten questions? Sure, let's sit down. That's probably not the way to go right now, okay? That's not the way. So how do you find a person like this in your life? Well, uh, I've had the honor over, the, uh, over years to of having several people in my life like this. And um, here's the thing I would say. Every time I've developed this kind of friendship, it has happened because of an invitation. It doesn't happen by, like, bumping into each other. Hey, I love you. <laughs> Let's have a weird meeting. You know, that's not, that's not what this looks like. It's happened because you observe in the community you observe in, in, your, in your relationships and think, man, there's some deep waters there. Whatever that person has, I want it in my life. Everybody that I intentionally spend time with, that is true. I want to be with that person. I want to be with that couple. And so uh, just a couple of uh, kind of helpful things, I hope. Um, that person may already exist in your life. You just need to bring some intentionality to it. Some of you have already thought maybe going on, you know, there's a, there's a person that's kind of floating around in my sphere of influence that I could say, hey, you want to do this? Um, you know, and so you just may need to ask and get intentional about it and start setting up a weekly meeting. That may be what you have to do. Or, you know, I got one of those, and then the couple we meet with, we, 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 don't, we love to meet weekly, but it usually ends up being about every two weeks or so. Here's another one. Small groups are a great place to discover those people if the small group is healthy. 
And so you can kind of look around the room and kind of say, you know, okay, who, 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 who would I have a connection with? Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to prompt you. And the other thing I've learned along the way is serve groups. Make no mistake, when you come here and you're engaged in service, it's not about service. It's about the community being the community. It's about encouraging one another on toward love and good deeds. That's why I love when families serve together. Um, I heard the Parkers are talking about how to get the, their children to be able to park cars with them, and we can't figure out the insurance because we're afraid like one of you might like, show the kids something they shouldn't. You know, you know whatever. I mean, we've got to work through all that kind of stuff. But wouldn't it be great to families be able to do that kind of stuff? I think that's beautiful. Now, you don't have to be weird about this, friends. You don't have to be weird. I know many of you think, this is really weird, Tom. But here's what I would recommend. Start by asking the question, how can we pray for each other? Because when you ask the question, you'll immediately be able to tell whether or not that person's going to do it. Not everybody who says they're going to pray for you actually does it. I know, I just ruined something, didn't I? I just, I just shot it down. I felt convicted by that about a few years ago, and so... Because on Sundays, I get a lot of folks say, well, you pray about it, you pray about it, pray about it. And I realize that, yeah, I prayed about it in the moment. Then I forget. And it's not because I didn't care. It's because I'm, I'm not very bright. But so I started writing these things down. And so I do. I have it in my prayer journal. Uh, people ask me to pray. And, and I can, so I can genuinely pray. So just start with that question. Hey, uh, Roy. I noticed you and I both scratch the same way, and uh, <laughs> whatever, I don't know. And ladies, I have no idea how this works for you, but I will say this, you need it as much as the men. You ladies, man, you, you can get going, right? Isn't it true? You, I, I'm, I'm, I should ask you a question. Isn't it true that you ladies uh, can get going in life, and you're like, have a lot of friends, but not a whole lot of these kinds of friends? Yeah. And it's true for men. We men, we go play golf. Four and a half hours with each other. Five if you play with me because we had to find the ball in the woods. Come home. Lisa asks, hey, how's Pete? How's Dan? Well, he's got his hook going again. He's heading in the woods all the time. No, I mean, how, how's their kids? I have no idea. <laughs> what are you talking about kids? <laughs> Isn't it true? <laughs> so you could start by just saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And let God lead you. There was a time, about 10 years ago, when I decided I was going to quit this. Uh, Beat up, discouraged, wasn't emotionally healthy. I mean, I I wasn't doing well. And uh, a lot of people had sent the notes and conversations, but hadn't considered how to spur one another on toward love. It felt more like a poke. Is that fair? And and so I had this Sunday, it was a come-to-Jesus moment between me and God, and it was, a, I was, a, it was just a, a brokenness in me. Um, and I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to make it to get to church, and I, I can tell you more about that later, but um, Elise did her part, she loved on me, cared for me, and, and she then texted one of my friends, still one of my friends today, and I got a text from him saying, hey, don't know what you're going through, but when you get here, I'll meet you in the parking lot. And he did. And he ushered me into the old Folger Auditorium, sat in the front row with me. I went up and delivered my message. And he ushered me out. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Because I promise you, everybody hits the wall. 
And when you want to be there, if you want to be there, you can't be there if you haven't been spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. Fair? Jesus, I love these people. I value them greatly. And Lord, as we think about who's in the room right now, and we think about our small groups, and down at Pleasant View, they're celebrating a brand new baby, and folks in the chapel reflecting on their prayer breakfast this week. We love this community. And Lord, many of us want to run this race well. We do. And Lord, this week, as I've interacted with so many different folks that have hit walls, the value of having people in my life that love, having being that person in someone else's life, is off the charts. So, Lord, I pray that Alive would be known for being that kind of loving community. Total faith, total dependence in Jesus for our forgiveness, and total willingness to awkwardly spur one another on toward love and good deeds. May it characterize this body. May it characterize our marriages, our small groups, brotherhood and sisterhood. All praise, all honor go to you in your name. Amen.